This is Morning Air. This is about educating a people that for 40 years haven't been given the full truth. It's time now to speak the truth. When you do things to the best of your ability, keeping Jesus number one and doing everything you possibly can for His glory, that's a winner. You are called to make the light of Christ shine brightly in the world. Bringing the light of Christ to start your day. This is Morning Air with John Morales on Relevant Radio. Good morning. Thanks for joining us for Morning Air here on Relevant Radio. It's Glenn in for John today on kind of a sad morning as we wake up after more details have come out from that that very, very sad uh, incident at the Christmas parade in Waukesha, Wisconsin, with uh, several killed and uh, some 40 injured. At last report, five dead, 40 injured as a car slammed into a Christmas parade in Waukesha. Among those injured, a priest from Waukesha Catholic community, several parishioners. We ask you to keep everyone involved in prayer, and we'll have more on that developing story throughout the day. As far as what we have on tap, the rest of this hour for you this morning, too, we'll talk about Thanksgiving and preparations and how to navigate that family landscape with social worker Kim Morgan. She's on the way in the next hour. We'll have a story corner for you coming up as we focus on Thanksgiving this week. And uh, right now we dive into those holiday finances and more with Bill Uliveri, owner of Senecal Capital Management, an investment fiduciary and regular guest here on Morning Air. Bill, good morning and happy Thanksgiving week to you. Good morning, Glenn. Happy Thanksgiving to you too. Great to have you along this week. Uh, and uh, one of the, the many things that seems to be uh, challenging us here in the midst of uh, COVID is inflation, something we haven't seen at levels like this since it almost seems like the Jimmy Carter days. But uh, let's talk about uh, how real it is and uh, what we can do to do our best to guard against it if possible. Well, Glenn, it's really interesting because I had a, a committee meeting last week with our local uh, chamber board. And for the first time ever being a part, well, not really the first time, but it's been a long time since that conversation of costs, expenses, and inflation has actually been brought up to a board. So it was really interesting because the idea is that we have to raise prices in order to be a chamber member, or we have to raise prices for our events. But you know, people like me and you, we don't always get to raise the prices of our services, right? We're on the other side of that where we're employees of a company or we are independent consultants and we just can't raise prices very, very quickly. So for me, I don't think inflation is really transitory. Inflation is just not a COVID conversation. I mean, I had the same conversation when uh, I first volunteered to be on pastoral council in maybe 1993 uh, at our local parish. It's the same conversation that local men's clubs have around here uh, where I live where they actually started an endowment fund on behalf of the parish, actually for the school kids, like a scholarship fund, that now has a very, very attractive bottom line into it, right? Uh, it's the same conversation I had maybe in 2014 when I was an executive secretary for a women's pregnancy, uh, pregnancy crisis center. And so the idea, actually it's the same conversation you know I had with Relevant Radio maybe back in 2016. Uh, 2015, where you know the wheels really still were not operating as a as a beautiful machine as it is today. So I think every organization, every person is struggling with higher prices, with making it a little bit harder to make ends meet. And so, you know that that's a conversation, you know, that I wanted to talk about on the committee side because there's always this jeopardy. There's always this um, 
not jeopardy, there's this incentive to always hold on to a lot of cash. You have to keep a lot of cash in your checking account. You have to be able to make sure you make ends meet. You have to make sure that you've got payroll. Like there's so many expenses of healthcare and insurance and energy that have just not just gone up a little bit, according to the Federal Reserve numbers of three or 4%, but they've tripled, they've quadrupled, they've doubled. And this put a big dent in, in everyone, whether it's a volunteer on a, uh, a service project or, you know, in our very own home. So we have to look for ways to make more money and to spend more efficiently. And it's always two sides of the equation. It's on the income side and it's on the expense side. We can't always do what we want on the income side. We don't always have that benefit. Bill, before we dive into you know what uh, committees in charge of nonprofits and, and the like can do in terms of the real impact of inflation, you know we've had moves for increased minimum wage and fifteen dollars an hour seems like almost the uh, the basement level for uh, any part time job anymore. But are we actually in any different place if we have made some gains in wages and uh, we've uh, it seemed eaten up that and more with in inflation? So despite all the the talk, all the protest for higher wages. Uh, inflation coming along, and are we any different than we were, say, three years ago? No, I, I don't think so. I think we're, we're feeling it today. You know, maybe the things that were put in place three or four or five years ago, um, you know, maybe we just didn't really notice it back then. I mean, you know, it, it's really hard to say because inflation is this really weird beast. And inflation generally is a monetary, uh, a federal reserve policy. So when you have a trillion dollars here, three trillion over here, we had several trillion put in place back in 2009, 2010, you know, during the Great Recession, these things take time to work their way through the economy. And I just think maybe we didn't feel it as much. It's kind of like that frog that's boiling in a pot of water. You have to boil. If you turn up the heat slowly, the frog doesn't know that it's in a boiling pot of water. That's when you see a big jarring surge of inflation that's when we seem to notice it. And so I think the, the response to the pandemic has been twofold. One is we've seen a disruption in supply chain. It's harder to get, you know, chips and you know, food and, and, and every, everyday consumables that we are used to having and that we've taken for granted. Those numbers of supply are less. They're smaller supply numbers. And we have perhaps the same demand. At the same time, you know, and I'm going to say this with um, with caution, and that is, everything that the government touches ends up to be more expensive. Our healthcare, university costs of school and education, uh, the, the the entire infrastructure of the of the state of the government that really just manages things inside of a white ivory tower and doesn't actually operate like we do, who are actually trying to pay bills. So the concept of turning on the printing press monetary policy, you know, it's a little bit of everything that's working, Glenn. And I, I think maybe, and also the government is in charge of operating the numbers. They're the ones that are, are publishing the CPI, the consumer, uh, the consumer production numbers and the, all these things. So it's kind of hard to get our arms around exactly what is the truth. But again, primarily, this is a monetary problem. If we had hard money, if we had gold back money, if we had a uh, a Federal Reserve and a government that wasn't so spendy, we would not really be having this conversation because technology and production tends to make prices lower as time goes on. The cost of a cell phone, our computer technology, you know, those things are deflationary in effect. 
Um, so when we have inflation, it's primarily a monetary thing, and that's caused by governments. Well, Bill, I, I'm sure as uh, we look uh, with Bill Uliveri at the effect of inflation on your nonprofit and how to handle things there, often in times of uh, financial crisis, uh, an organization, generally even very careful ones, and hopefully most tend to be more careful, will hang on to that cash. But I bet you'd like to tell us that there are ways that uh, we can keep our cash from shrinking. Well, it, it, this is a great conversation, and it's not sometimes a non-for-profit organization or a small service organization kind of has their hands tied because people don't donate money to an organization because they're really great stock market investors or they're really good at managing assets. They do it because there's a mission statement behind the board, and that, and I want to make sure that I they, I honor that. There's faithful, hardworking volunteers. Many organizations are only being held together by the prayers of the women on the board. Okay, let's be honest. But at the same time, um, you know, they may sit, they, they may have 50%, 60% of their assets just sitting in a certificate of deposit, earning less than 1%. And so there has to be this careful conversation behind, you know, perhaps, perhaps opening up an account at TD Ameritrade or Charles Schwab, Fidelity, some discount brokerage firm that has check writing capabilities also available. And you can spend it, those assets, just like you spend them from your local bank, if that's where your assets are. Because if you look at what's going on in the marketplace, there is a very safe intermediate bond fund that's yielding 1.97% annually. There's an investment-grade bond exchange-traded fund yielding 2.34% annually. High-grade corporate bond funds are paying about 4.26% annually. And so now these are bond funds that, they may have some volatility. I'll give you that. They bounce around a little bit. They ebb and flow according to how the economy does, and that's something they have to take into consideration. But really, many of these bond funds have had almost a zero rate of return for the last 10 years, but it still pays out like 4 to 4 and a quarter percent annually. Well, that's not such a bad thing. And also remember this. The S&P 500 has many components to it. There's the, the technology components, and then there's the value and dividend-paying components. Those dividend-paying components, components pay a 2.76% dividend stream, and it earns roughly 8% annually over the last 5, 10, 15, 20 years. So, you know, I'm, I'm, just, I'm not begging. I'm just asking that perhaps organizations that are having this same conversation about inflation, perhaps in 2022, you know, we begin again. Let's open up a small account and just take a little bit because every dollar that gets put into a stock market fund or an investment growth fund or in a dividend-paying stock or in gas and electric utility companies that are paying 6% or more in dividends, just a little bit of that is for every dollar invested there is a dollar you don't have to fundraise for. It's a dollar you don't have to have an event for to, to maintain and keep the organization afloat. And I understand, Glenn, it's a very, very tough conversation because the organizations I've been introduced to really do live hand to mouth like every month. It's, there's always a cash flow problem. And so it's this delicate conversation between having enough money and enough funds to run the operations of an organization. But at the same time, there has to be some way of, of protecting against inflation, protecting against the cost of everything going up a little bit every single year. It's exhausting to raise money every single year, as I'm sure you know. 
We do it on a regular basis here, and uh, thanks to the world's greatest audience, uh, we have we have persevered and been able to grow through the years, and uh, we thank the Lord for that and our, our great audience Amen. as well. Talking inflation with uh, Bill Uliveri today on Morning Air, Glenn in for John, talking about specifically uh, nonprofit organizations and how they can handle inflation. It seems like some organizations, when the first COVID lockdowns hit, folks stepped up to make sure that everything would be okay, thinking this might be a short-term thing, and now it's kind of dragged on and things have gotten better and worse in different sectors over time and things are starting to to shake out a little bit is an organization Mm -hmm. that might find itself uh, with much less income than it used to uh, being so cautious that sometimes it can almost be too cautious. Yeah, I I agree. I I totally agree. And and again, this is where, again, that that cash sitting in an account only, only hurts. It it hurts the mission statement because again, things are more expensive. I know as a homeowner, like we, we sometimes have to run these organizations like we do our home, and that's okay. I know that my wife and I, and I've said this before on Relevant Radio, maybe in the last year, probably several times, pick up some extra canned goods, pick up a little couple of extra reams of paper at the, at the store, um, fill up your inventory of, 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 uh, of items, and whether it's business products, whether it's the cases of water or you know, the things that you buy for the vending machine, all these little things make a big difference because if it's something goes from a dollar to a dollar ten, well, that's a 10% increase, right? And that is a big deal in a world where maybe our income doesn't increase by 10% annually. Maybe it only increases by 3 or 4% annually. And again, Glenn, I'm not saying that this is like a magic formula of, of, of providing incredible sustainability for a service organization or a non-for-profit. I'm just saying I find it interesting that these type of organizations are going to be having this conversation in the next year and probably more now than ever because, you know, it, if, if something costs me, the volunteer and the donator, like you know, if I'm a donor to Relevant Radio, if I'm getting squeezed under fringes because my gas, my heating, my food is getting more expensive, that may play out. You're going to be the second derivative um, effect of that is that there might not be as much to donate to relevant radio. And yes, the greatest, greatest listeners and, and, and donators in the entire globe. Absolutely for sure. Uh, but you know, it's, it's a squeeze, right? We, we're all feeling a little bit like the widow who putting in those two little farthings, those two little tokens into the temple treasury. Um, you know, and I suspect Glenn that there's a backdrop of money that is written in scripture, you know, behind the story that we'll just never really know. Um, you know, the widows might, uh, when Jesus took a coin from the mouth of a fish in order to pay the tax, like how did the coin end up in the, in the mouth of a fish? Was it because <laughs> it was so, was it so worthless that the money was just used as a anchor weight for like a piece of bait or was it really, did it really fall out of somebody's pocket in the middle of the water? You know, when they were, when they were wading in, uh, when our Lord overturned the tables at the, at the temple, right? He was angry at the money changers. What exactly was going on? Like, if I could ever go back in time, it would be like that scene where the, where the people that were changing money, just ripping off, uh, you know, the poor visitors coming in, uh, you know, for the census and like so bad. Or was there like a two-tier money system? Like the people coming in didn't get the shekels that were deposited into the temple. Like what was that whole thing about? So, again, I, I bet you that there was some clipping of the corners of silver tokens back then and somebody was stealing and keeping that silver and then exchanging the bad stuff to, to people. And we're actually, we're in the midst of that right now. 
you know, these trillions of dollars that are added to the economy, this is not really a good thing, Glenn. This is going to explode in our face, and we just have to kind of wait for that, that bubble to burst. It's not a good thing. It's sort of a bad thing. Uh, we'd all like to know the secrets behind our, our trade or our craft when we get to heaven and see uh, <laughs> how, how things worked out through the years uh, as we continue our conversation this morning on Morning Air with Bill Uliveri. And Bill, I would hope that uh, inflation wasn't so bad in Bible times that uh, the coins were only used as uh, as weights for fishing, but uh, that, that, that's all the worth they had. Now, I wanna, when we talk about uh, uh, income for, for nonprofits during tough economic times, does it ultimately turn out that uh, we as folks, whether we're spending the money on ourselves or we're giving it away to the causes that we like, uh, we tend to still spend our money on what we really want to almost no matter how much we have. That, that's true, Glenn. And again, it's always this final balancing act. I mean, look at, again, let's go back to that that inspirational parable of the widow's might. The widow gave two tokens, right? And she gave all that she had. And you know, and I know, that had she had more money, she would have given it all, right? Whether she had two, whether she had four, whether she was a rich, incredibly affluent widow, she probably would have given all that she had to the church. That's my guess, to the temple. And again, we do the same thing. So giving is a disposition, absolutely. It's just not about the money. And there are some heroic, heroic people listening to this program and people who support Relevant Radio and that mission. And again, I'm not saying that I would want to... Um, you know, it's a beautiful story, and I'm, and I'm not saying, again, anything about the disposition of the people giving, and people will find that sacrifice to give to Relevant Radio and other organizations. I'm just saying that there's a conversation going on in the backdrop by people who are board members, executive member committees saying, hey, our income is only up 3 or 4% year over year, but our expenses are up 10, 15, 20%. And it's getting harder to get our hands on the things that we need to run this mission so what do we do? Do we, do we raise prices? Do we have more events? Do we fundraise even harder and more frequently? Do we, like, how, how is that going to happen if your ticket prices go from 25 to $45 per event? I'm just saying that there are other ways. It's two, there's two equations that have to be had here. Don't neglect, don't neglect the six figures sitting in some checking account earning nothing because that's dwindling at 4 or 6% annually. Don't ignore like this cash that you want to have just to be safe, just to be careful, that money should be doing something. That's also a mandate is to make sure that we're just not wasting our way, wasting away that money that we use for the mission by not paying attention to it. Like just stop and think about it. Be mindful of it. Take it to your prayer. What can we do better? I know we want safety. We have to have money available for the mission. I understand that. But Again, sometimes the temptation is to keep too much on the side, too much in your pocket. And that's not going to, that's only going to buy you four, six, or 8% less in 2022. So, uh, you know, have that conversation, bring it to a board meeting. Let's talk about it. Where can we save? Where can we earn a little bit more money? And, and it's a no brainer by just mo moving an account from the local bank or uh, credit union to an investment facility that can actually offer double, triple, quadruple the rates that you're earning on your money right now. Say, so Bill, about 30 seconds left. What's your best pep talk as a man of faith and a man of finance to give confidence for nonprofits uh, during our current environment? I always go to my fallback quote, which is John Paul II, who said, do not be afraid. Right? Do not be afraid. 
We are in it for the right reason. We have good people with good hearts, faithful people who are running these organizations. They're taking it to their prayer, and they're somehow miraculously, uh, like the lows and fishes, are able to maintain and continue their mission over the good times and the bad times, just like the people who donate and have skin in the game with the mission. So do not be afraid. Keep on doing what you're doing and look for ways to do a little bit better because I think that's what God is calling us to do, whether on the household side or on the, the non-for-profit side. Bill, always a pleasure. Bill Uliveri with us, an investment fiduciary owner of Seneca Capital Management, regular guest here on Morning Air. Thanks, Bill, and a happy Thanksgiving to you as well. We continue on Morning Air. Up next, right around the corner, we'll check in with social worker and Catholic wife and mom, Kim Morgan, talking about navigating the holidays as uh, we get those families together to what degree or not in COVID holiday season number two. And uh, we'll look at a few Pretty fun holiday stories that might not always have gone according to plan. That's up next as Morning Air continues here on Relevant Radio and the Relevant Radio app. Catholic Order of Foresters is proud to sponsor the Relevant Radio studio line. For information about employment opportunities and flexible premium life insurance plans, visit RelevantRadio.com slash Forrester. From Maui to Maine, you're listening to Morning Air with John Morales, coast to coast on Relevant Radio and the Relevant Radio app. Good morning. Thank you so much for joining us for Morning Air here on Relevant Radio. It's Glenn in for John today. Still to come this hour, we'll have a Thanksgiving-themed story corner. We'll have those all week long for you as well as we uh, give thanks, and we're supposed to do that all the time. We'll talk about how that fits into holiday gatherings and more right now. We bring along Catholic uh, wife and mom, a licensed independent clinical social worker and a longtime guest of uh, Relevant Radio on the local side in Minnesota as well. Kim Morgan joins us. Kim, great to have you along. Good morning, Glenn. It's good to be with you. First question I have for you, do you have the, the turkey out of the freezer and uh, carefully unthawing in the refrigerator at this point? It is so funny you ask that. You don't even know the backstory here, but I had a conversation with some family members, and they're like, well, it says it takes this long to thaw, so I'll pull it out on Tuesday. And I'm like, I, I really think you need to get that turkey thawing a little earlier. Like, it, you do not want to put partly frozen turkey in the oven. And, yes, mine is out and thawed and ready and I never even cooked the turkey. In fact, the years that I'm in charge of Thanksgiving, we have fried chicken. <laughs> well, hey, uh, I'm a fried chicken fan as well. So uh, <laughs> kudos to you for that. And a, a special note to anyone who's deep frying a turkey, which can be a, a great thing. But you really want to make sure that those are thawed out. Because if you have a little ice in the middle, you might find yourself... Uh, with that becoming propellant, and your turkey might end up uh, down the block for the neighbor's dog, like in a Christmas story. The dog won't even have to come into your kitchen, so uh, beware. And we're going to talk about some of the adventures and misadventures of uh, holidays as well, but uh, using your social worker skills, Kim, uh, this is the, the, the I think it's required on all uh, media conversations about the holidays. How do we navigate getting together with family? And uh, we thought, wow, last year was contentious. We had uh, the election and, and COVID, and this 
this year. We've still got COVID conversations, and uh, sometimes who's vaccinated or not can play into who gets to come to Thanksgiving or not, or who wants to, or who's safe to have come. And my goodness, but uh, overall, any any general advice as we think about gathering once again, as we usually always do. I am an old school Emily Post follower. So Emily Post is like the queen of etiquette from days gone by. But I was listening to a contemporary etiquette conversationalist the other day who was saying the do's and don'ts of COVID and how you invite people. And she actually had some really good points about how to be kind and polite as you invite people and as you set the tone for your Thanksgiving holiday. And I think it's important for the host to be able to quote, as my kids say, be in charge. Who's in charge? My kids always ask. If I leave the house, who's in charge? And in this situation, who's in charge? Well, the hostess is, uh, the host or hostess, and they can set the tone and the dynamic for a very successful holiday. And they can respect the people that need to have a, a little bit more protection. They can also respect the people who feel a little bit safer in, in the world with maybe uh, not masking or uh, being around more groups, a bigger group of people. So it's important as you communicate with your host for the weekend or if you are the host, just communicate clearly and kindly and express what your needs are. And don't worry so much about what people politically think or what is or isn't the current data out there. It's not a, a debate to discuss things. It's about your host setting a dynamic for the day. And it sounds like that most people now have caught on to some really good lingo with how to communicate about COVID. And here was the other cool tip that I learned from this lady. She had a pivot point. So if things got a little tense or a little bit heated or maybe a little awkward, she would have a new piece of conversation or a new game to play or a new thing to introduce to the family to divert the energy in the room, to divert everybody's attention to a new plan. And I thought, what a great idea, because we don't have to yell at each other and get in each other's face about, stop it, just quit talking about it. A hostess can simply say, hey, I forgot to tell you guys, I have this new game, would you like to play it? Or, hey, I have these new pictures to show you. Or, hey, can we all upload a photo and put it on the big screen to show what we've done this year. Pick out your 10 favorite photos, and let's look at some pictures from each other, and we can talk about what we went through. And I thought that was a great idea, and the Emily Post of old couldn't have done that. She didn't have the media. She didn't have the technology to do that. But today, we do have technology. We can even play games on our phones using our, just our phones or a big screen and divert some of that attention and angst onto something more positive and end up having a very great holiday. Like that idea, handling the holiday guests like kids, right? <laughs> Where it's, <laughs> it's far easier to uh, positively divert them in another direction than just kind of holler at them from behind. And that probably wouldn't work well with your holiday company as well. Kim Morgan, our guest for this segment of Morning Air here, uh, gearing up for the holidays, looking at the social aspects of that, basically how we can get along better if we need to. Uh, and maybe if we are getting along pretty well, maybe we can share that by broadening uh, the reach of our Thanksgiving table and maybe inviting some folks who aren't 
you know, related if they uh, aren't having much going on on Thanksgiving. What's that experience like? And might that be something new, bold and daring and, and even good for people to try? Uh, my family had had a tradition of never, ever inviting outsiders to big family events. Well, I was born late in life. I was kind of an only child with five brothers and sisters. I didn't know better. I used to invite people all the time to the holidays. Apparently it <laughs> created quite the the conversation and uh, uncomfortableness for my siblings until they got to know my friends. And they realized, wow, this isn't just about us. We have something incredible as a family to share. We have something incredible that other people often don't experience in their holiday traditions. And that's something of joy and peace and comfort and food and security. So when you get the chance to invite someone, you should. And it shouldn't be a closed circle invitation. And, of course, as my siblings have gotten older and and realize that life is messy and there's lots of people involved in our lives that we never knew could be included, they've realized that having that open-door policy is really a great one. But, I mean, I did it because I didn't know better, and <laughs> it worked out to be really great. And once I learned, I was like, oh, I didn't know I wasn't supposed to invite anybody. I thought, you know, we should share what we have. And as them being the older people, I think they realized, oh, look what we've given little Kim. We've given her this great joy. And then they realized that they were all strong enough and capable enough to share it with others. And I think they learned something from it, too. So it was kind of fun when we all crossed that threshold of it's okay if you bring an outsider. It's perfectly fine. Well, Little Glenn was pretty shy, but uh, current Glenn is a professional talker person, so uh, I enjoy getting to, to meet and especially converse uh, beyond the superficial level with new people. And several years ago, the in-laws had a neighbor who was newly widowed, and it was quite a surprise. The man who passed away was not that old. And so Christmas dinner included a new guest, and I found that to be just fascinating. It was someone who'd traveled a lot and uh, was a great conversationalist in their own right. And, you know, that was a very pleasant thing. But, yeah, there was a time when that would have seemed weird and scary, but uh, we just uh, invite folks to, to to broaden their horizon a little bit. How about even within the family to, to broaden our horizon a little bit? And if there has been some some fuss over whatever, COVID politics or just, uh, you know, the Hatfields and McCoys type stuff over the years, and look at that, uh, one of the grandkids was a McCoy and married a Hatfield, and now we got to try and get along. But uh, <laughs> can we be intentional about our own gatherings, uh, even as a guest, and uh, and try and be a light in a sometimes contentious environment. I think that's something that's really important, Glenn, that we actually take time before we arrive at someone's house or before we receive people at our own home to really be intentional about what we can gain by our relationship. And not like I need something from you, but what can I learn about you? What can I ask you that will allow you to feel safe and secure and very comfortable in your conversation. So maybe I know that you love your job, Glenn, and you love to talk and you love radio. And if you were to show up at my home on Thanksgiving Day, I'd say, Glenn, tell me what's one of the coolest things that you do in radio. Tell me who you like to talk to the most when you're on air. And, of course, you're going to say Kim Morgan. But 
I mean, I know the answer. That's exactly what I was thinking, especially <laughs> if I'm in your house telling that story. But yeah, anyway, even, but, even like, anyway. It, it, is it Story Corner? Is it the, the priests who have gone through struggles? Is it a, a guest who's creating a, a new uh, book of fiction that's actually healthy and strong and good? So I want to engage you in something that you are passionate about. And if I'm inviting guests to my home... 90% of the time, I probably should know at least that much about them to be able to create a question or a conversation to give them comfort and allow them a conversation that they are an expert in. And I think when we do that, we really make people feel valued in our home. We make people feel wanted to be there. We make people feel like we care about what's going on. And it's not that we just make them feel that way, but we genuinely do care. And it gets people um, not so on guard about all the other things going on in the world today. And it, it brings them back to a, a focal point of who they are, who who's the very core and essence of who they are. And let's care about who that person is versus who they are in today's greatest controversies. So let, let's skip that and let's go a little bit deeper with our relationships with those around our table. Doing the holidays better, and we don't mean having better decorations on the table, uh, talking about mm -hmm. how to make the social environment better, more loving, more Christian, perhaps. Kim Morgan, our guest, with this portion of Morning Air here on Relevant Radio. And that, uh, as we kind of have a tangent into Conversation 101, Kim, asking questions. My goodness, and, you know, we talk about doing it on the radio, of course. It's part of the deal here. But in real life, very few people ask questions of others. Everybody wants to say what their thing is. But if you can stop, ask a good question, and listen to the answer, my goodness, you can have a great conversation just off to the races. And uh, that takes some generosity of spirit. It, it really does. And it takes us away from our own selves. And I'm often... Um, just delighted when somebody asks me a question about my life. Well, how are you doing with the kids today? Well, what do you think about the kids' schools? Well, what are you doing in your free time right now? Any of those questions really opens up a, a an open channel of communication between me and the person asking the question. So if you can be a good question asker, and not everybody is, but that's what I'm saying. Stop and think about it, especially before this Thanksgiving. What kind of good questions can I ask my guests to engage in a conversation that is more meaningful, it's more delightful, and it's not controversial, but it's about getting to know them better. And sometimes we can skip everything current. Let's not talk about anything current. What is one of your favorite childhood memories? What's one of the favorite things you did growing up as a kid? What's one of the favorite first jobs you had and why? And sometimes we're getting to know new people, right, around the table. We don't know anything about them. Well, what do you do as a living or what did you do? And then say, and what did you like about that? And what was one of the hardest parts about that? We will find that when we ask people these kind of engaging questions, we're not, like, challenging them in the sense of being uh, pushy. We're challenging them in the sense of, Tell us something about you. We, we'd like to know more about you. And I think that's a very kind and generous way to, to approach the holidays and approach conversation around the dinner table. 
You know, asking those questions and uh, giving folks a chance to reminisce about the the old days, especially the older ones in the group, can be a blast. I even remember as a young kid, and my dad was a bit older by the time I was adopted, and uh, so he had great stories of when he was little and on the farm, you know, way back in time. And Monday nights, I think it was, my mom had bowling league, and so uh, it would be my chance to have a little before bedtime with dad there and ask about when he was little and on the farm. And, you know, I tell you, you know, the things little kids could do back then, <laughs> well and <laughs> presumably legally, were awesome. And uh, I loved those stories. We're going to hear stories of how Thanksgiving didn't turn out exactly according to plan and other holidays, too, when we return with more of Morning Air. Kim Morgan, our guest, there's more coming up right here on Relevant Radio and on the Relevant Radio app. Today, we'd like to thank Daniel, who's listening in Arkansas, for donating his Dodge. You can join thousands of other listeners in donating old vehicles by visiting relevantradio.com slash car. Get connected to the conversation. Call us now at 888-914-9149. That's 888-914-9149. You're listening to Morning Air with John Morales on Relevant Radio and the Relevant Radio app. Well, John is gone today. It's uh, Glenn getting to come out and play just a little bit. Uh, thank you for joining us on Morning Air this morning. Our Story Corner coming up in about 10 minutes or so. We'll talk Thanksgiving on the Story Corner all week long right now, talking Thanksgiving and navigating those those holidays in the social sense. Kim Morgan, a regular guest on Morning Air here, joining us today. We're going to talk a little bit in this next segment here about uh uh, you know, some of those most memorable holidays might be the times things didn't go always according to plan. And as far as Thanksgiving, I don't think we really had any particular disasters. But I remember in the in the later years when we'd come visit my mom and dad, and uh, they're both long gone now, but excellent parents and uh, good cooks around the holiday. In fact, Kim, they had uh, a competing uh, kind of a, a competition for whose stuffing was the best my dad would be cooking on this stove that was downstairs and my mom in the kitchen and she would do the stuffing on the stovetop. It might even have been that brand. My dad would do it in the bird in this other kind of cooking scenario we had in the basement. And then it would be competition. And so for someone who loved stuffing better than anything at all on the feast table for Thanksgiving stuffing, it was a great day always. And I would have to give the nod. Sorry, mom to my dad with the stuffing in the, in the bird. But uh, I know basements and Thanksgiving have a, a long, if not glorious, history in your family as well. Okay, so I didn't even realize how tight financially we were. We lived in a house that was $38,000. I'm pretty sure my mom even had to co-sign for us. So it wasn't the best, most kept-up house in the whole world. And on Thanksgiving... And we were the most stable of anybody in my husband's sibling circle. So we were going to host Thanksgiving. We host Thanksgiving. Everybody's on their way to our house. And I'm like, Robert, what's that smell? It smells really, really bad. It does not smell like the turkey cooking. It does not even smell like the burnt rolls that we did the day before. (laughs) It really smells bad. Our sewer system backed up into our basement oh no so there's robert i i wish we had a web page to share i'll try to describe it robert's a big guy he's six foot tall he's a good 250 pounds and he's broad shouldered he's in a a khaki green military sweatshirt 
sweatpants or jeans, I can't remember the bottoms, he has a, a cravat over his face, uh, you know, it, keeping in style with today. He was far more trendy back then than he even knew. Um, a cravat over his nose and mouth, goggles, like protective eyewear goggles, and a snow shovel. And he proceeds oh. to go downstairs <laughs> to shovel the sludge that is in our basement that is making it smell so horrific just hours before guests are going to arrive at the house. So lest you think my life is Pollyanna perfect, let me tell you differently. (laughs) This was not what I had planned, but it only gets worse. I want to tell you the worst of it. It gets worse. It gets worse. Glenn, you don't know. As uh, you know, the great, great radio commentary uh, storyteller Paul Harvey used to say, there is the rest of the story. Uh (laughs) So the guests arrive. We've cleaned up the sewage mess. We have made the turkey. We have remade the rolls so that they're not burnt. And we think, okay, we're going to survive this. This is going to be good. But you never, never can expect to know what your guests are going to do. My sister-in-law, Robert's sister, brings along a date. And we knew this date. He, he had been seeing her for a while. It was pretty, pretty serious. We liked him. He pulls out a little box at the dinner table. And we're like, oh, a little box at the dinner table. <laughs> Everyone gets excited. I pull out the camera. My heart's a flutter. I'm like, oh, I wish you would have told me. Like, this is so exciting. We can't wait. And there are two little chocolates in this box. <laughs> not a ring, not a proposal. And they broke up shortly afterwards. Oh, the chocolate wasn't very good <laughs> it was then, apparently. So bad. <laughs> It was so bad. And he had no clue what he had done. And she was the most gracious, most beautiful person I've ever seen in my life. Handled that and say, oh, I just love chocolate. Thank you. And I'm like, how did she even manage the grace and dignity and calmness and self-worth to handle that situation in front of all of us? And we all were like, oh, gosh. That's not a ring in a little box on Thanksgiving at the dinner table with your whole family. Okay. okay. Oh, so Dr. Robert was about ready to shovel him out of the house, too, I imagine, after that. <laughs> Probably. I think he was just too exhausted from the excitement we had had just a few minutes before everyone arrived. But, yeah, it was a little tough day. Now, now, how long did either half of that story take uh, where that could be family folklore that people could laugh at? Was there a, a period of uh, too soon to talk about all of that, and then it, it got okay after a while? We have never brought up the little chocolate box, ever. <laughs> ever. The, the sewage story is legendary, along with the, the burnt rolls. And the burnt rolls, I think, happened because we had put them in the oven, and there was like a dirty like a cookie sheet pan that had smoked. And so we kind of had smoked rolls. It was not a pleasant thing. Um, they, they were very gray, and yeah, ugh, no, nobody would eat them. But uh, the, the food and the, the sewage problem was no big deal. We laugh and laugh about that. We pull out the picture all the time of Robert, armed and dangerous, to go down into the, the basement and, and shovel. I don't, like, where did he shovel it to? Like, I'm I was thinking concerned. that. Like, I didn't, I didn't ask. I, I wasn't sure how specific we wanted to get, but that thought did come to mind. Uh, uh, did he have I, a bucket? Maybe he had a bucket. I, I didn't, maybe I didn't 
want to know then, and I don't want to know now. But it was so bad. And it was a very old house. It was a beautiful house, but it, it had some problems. The Morgans and military families, they've had adventures around the world. Kim, I recall, too, you talking about uh, a Christmas in Guam when Robert served in that neck of the woods. And, uh, you know, in a time when typhoons were wiping out the power system, different things uh, took on different meaning as a very important and, and beautiful Christmas gift. Uh, we have had many, many uh, a Christmas that has been kind of uh, not so traditional and so uh, some years we didn't have power, and so we were grilling our Christmas dinner. <laughs> some years uh, we were uh, giving um, in gift exchanges. This was one of my favorites and probably what you, you remember the most. Uh, the power was out, and we couldn't leave the island because the airport was shut down. There was damage to the runways. So we still held our traditional Christmas party with his work friends, and, and and coworkers, and we all brought a gift to just uh, white, we call it white elephant exchange. I hope that's that's appropriate to say. And so we just draw a random gift, and the random gift fought over the most was a gallon of gasoline to run your generator, and we ended up winning it. So we could run our generator for X amount of time with that gallon of gas because um, somebody had just enough extra and knew that it was of value. And it was far more valuable than the double-sized bottle of alcohol. It was far more exciting than uh, a package of toilet paper. It the, the gasoline was the true gem of Christmas that year. And we were never, ever so grateful as to have um, a resource like that to, to continue, you know, heating our, our, well, cooling our house and, um, keeping the appliances running during the holidays. Well, and, you know, does all this come to mind as much as you may try to be that gracious and, and, and perfect host, but having a, a history of realizing that when things didn't go that well, you're all still here, you know, uh, nothing completely blew the house up and uh, nobody survived kind of thing like that. So you're all still here and you can laugh about it. Does that give you a little bit of comfort and peace as you set up for each ensuing holiday? Uh, it really does, because even this Thanksgiving, we have the great controversy of this Thanksgiving. Now we have in-laws and outlaws in our house, and we have to figure out when the in-laws and outlaws are having their Thanksgiving to coordinate with our Thanksgiving. But we also have a daughter getting married who um, is having a bridal shower at the weekend of Thanksgiving. And everybody was all upset on one side of the family because it conflicted with their traditional Thanksgiving holiday. And I said, you know what? It doesn't matter whether you come or not because nobody's hurt, nobody's sick, nobody's in distress. We have so much to be grateful for. We call this in our family, in my immediate family, we call this happy problems. You have two great things to go to. You can either go to Thanksgiving traditionally with the, the one of the matriarch family households or you can go to the bridal shower. Either way, what a joyous occasion. Who cares? And I think often we do need to take a step back when we look about Christmases where we didn't have electricity, Thanksgivings where sewers backed up, uh, surprise chocolates at the dinner table that looked like engagement rings. We can laugh and go, you know what? We actually have happy problems here. These are good things when you have two events that conflict but that are both good. When you have family to join with and 
maybe the turkey doesn't come out right. When you have a place to go and, and people to be with. And it also makes us very aware, in fact, I will tell you this, the reason our families Thanksgiving conflict it has a conflict a lot of times is because they have it on Saturday. And why did they have it on Saturday? Because on Thursdays, the majority of my family used to go serve food at a shelter because they knew mm-hmm. what it was like to need and want food and to be able to serve in that capacity. And it reminds us this year especially, people have been through a really hard time. And, yeah, things sound like they're very joyous and, and very perfect. They're not always joyous and perfect. We need to make sure we have compassion and take care of our community around us as well. So we don't want to neglect, is what I'm saying, the the commitment and responsibility we have to care for others. And when we have our gratitude, there, there shouldn't really be guilt about having such good families or good food or a good place to meet. There should be gratitude. And then we, we pass on some of the talents and treasures and time we have to those around us in our community. Kim, just 30 seconds left before we let you go on this holiday week. What are you most thankful for this year? I, I think this year I'm very, very much most thankful that our family has had uh, minimal impact by COVID. Uh, I'm thankful that the friends we did lose to COVID have had a very strong spiritual journey and would be welcomed into heaven. And I'm thankful for really, really some of the basics, food and shelter and family that um, I, I can rely on, that I don't have um, food insecurities or um, uh, shelter issues. And coming from where we started in our little $38,000 home that had sewage back up in it, I can say that you know everything that I've gotten has been a gift from God and that I'm just totally grateful for that. And it's it's very humbling to think, how blessed many of us are in our lives, especially in the United States. And I'm thankful for the freedoms we still have um, to celebrate these kind of special days. Amen to that. And we're thankful for you, Kim Morgan, our guest for this segment here as we talk Thanksgiving and keep that conversation going with our story corner today. It's called Some Points to Ponder Regarding Thanksgiving. If you woke up this morning with more health than illness... You're more fortunate than the million who will not survive the week. If you've never experienced the danger of battle, the loneliness of imprisonment, the agony of torture, or the pangs of starvation, you're ahead of 500 million people in the world. If you can attend church without fear of harassment, arrest, torture, or death, you're more privileged than 3 billion in the world. You have food in the fridge, clothes on your back, a roof overhead, a place to sleep. That makes you richer than 75% of the world. If you have money in the bank, in your wallet, and some spare change in a dish somewhere, you're among the top 8% of the world's wealthy. If you can hold someone's hand, hug them, or touch them on the shoulder, you're blessed because you can offer healing touch. And if this message was to come to you via print and you could read it, you're more fortunate than over 2 billion that cannot read at all. If you hold your head up with a smile on your face and are truly thankful, you are blessed because the majority can, but most do not. 1 Thessalonians 5.18 reminds us to be thankful. The Apostle Paul says, Give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. That's our Story Corner. Make it a happy Thanksgiving. Remember to be gracious, to be thankful, to love one another, and keep listening. After the latest news, next we'll get the latest 
on the Kyle Rittenhouse situation with Mary Helen Fiorito as Morning Air continues here on Relevant Radio and the Relevant Radio app.